The Long Box Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 1951 versus 1956. Two old school films enter. One old school film leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Folks, welcome back to Action Film Face Off, the show where two random years are selected. My brother brings an action film from one of the random years. I bring an action film from the other random year. Then those two films do battle using a variety of criteria, and a champion will be crowned by the end of this episode. I'm Jared Albrecht, the Death Probe. My co-host is my brother Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht, and we are both military combat vets who take our action seriously. But not too seriously. So let's have some fun. What kind of episode we got going on today? Well, I'll tell you. It's a retro rewind episode. Just for a little fun, a little variety. Jason and I messed with the randomizer last time. And instead of setting it from 1970 to current day, we set it from 1950 to 1969. And boy, we've got some interesting films for you today. Over to you, Jason. Well, I'll tell you what, before I, we go much further, it was heartwarming me this evening because peek behind the curtain folks thursday nights i talked to my parents and i called them early because i knew i was going to be recording this tonight and told them i was doing a retro rewatch type of episode and my mom says what's that and my dad says oh it's they're going to do a film from 1950 to 1969 wow and i was like wow you do listen he's like yeah <laughs> And dad said that he listened and he's going to speak to us later about our language. So we need to tighten that up, Jared. I don't know about us. He's talking to you. Yeah, that's true. He's talking to me. But Kathy can attest to the Max episode. <laughs> Listen to what they were, though. I mean, okay, we're going way down a rabbit hole. So let me pull this thing up. Yes, indeed, we're going to score each of today's films on a scale of 1 to 10 in five categories. Those categories are, let's see if Laurel fixed it yet, uh, story, <laughs> overall spectacle, best action scene, the hero, and the villain. She has not fixed it yet, so it's still not in that order. And then there will be the deduction round where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. Back to you, Jared. Thank you, Jason. And now it is time to introduce this episode's sniper. The sniper has just one point to give in each category, so the sniper can score the Swain by a total of five points. Let's meet our sniper for this episode. The first ever... Return guest action film face off. You don't count, Jason. Nobody could hold me. Nobody could control me. I'm coming. I'm here to do my. It is MVP Kathy Wright. Kathy is excited to be here. Oh, man. Welcome back, Kathy. Well, thank you very much. I'm very, very glad to be back. You were brought back by popular demand. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. My name in comments. We want more Kathy. So here if you I are. had not seen it, I would not believe it. <laughs> well, I have it right here. It says, <laughs> I want more Kathy by a Kathleen might. Uh, let's have some more Kathy <laughs> by a Catherine slight. Uh, wait a minute. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, we are glad to have you back on the show. And you know what, folks out there in listener land, we have plans afoot for Kathy to be a returning quarterly guest. So look for her every third episode. Yay. Can I say something right here? I think this is going to be a very interesting episode for the sniper. Uh-oh. I think we're going to have a tight match. <laughs> Sniper is going to be playing a significant role. So don't sleep on the sniper on this one. It's funny you should say that, Jason, because I will tell all the listeners up front something I told Kathleen before we started recording. I said, well, your sniper is going to be interesting tonight or Jason scores because I haven't scored the same. I have the exact same score for both movies. I don't know if I can handle the pressure. I don't know. I'm very close. I'm very close across. Well, before our two films enter the video dome arena, We've got to kick this episode off with special shout-outs to Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long-box episodes, voting on show content, and so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much-appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. My favorite, Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Wow. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Captain. In- <laughs> I, get, I get the joke. I get the joke. It's funny, but. Entropy. Dave Battlewagon Collins. Battlewagon. Gary V. Gerald Green. Jason Keene. Jeremy L. German, Jim, German, Jim, German, Jim, German. I hope you like the German too. Joe November Thomas. John Watson. Jose Pollo. Josh Strickland. Kathy Bright, but you know her as MVP. Monstrous Mark Hatherley. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks, Paul Hicks, Paul Hicks, Paul Hicks. I hope you like Paul Hicks, too. <laughs> Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanskate. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Toronto Cup. And Brad Morin. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Please keep in mind we record these episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent addition, we'll be adding you soon. But no worries. Just let us know we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get it straightened out. How does one become a Crusaders Club member? It's easy for most people. Don't ask Jason. Don't ask Jason. (laughs) I don't know. It's impossible. We still aren't sure that he might or might not be Jason Keene. But anyways, head over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to the amazing world of Crusaders Club. Come check it out and that's the can stuff but i want to remind everybody that we really appreciate those of you who are in the club we recently had captain entropy join we recently had jason king join we recently had tim price bumped up his donation amounts those are really appreciated folks we're not out here just spending that money (laughs) willy-nilly 
We're using that for hardware upgrades. And most of all, we buy the raffle prizes and pay for the shipping and the raffle prizes with that stuff. So it's going back to you guys. We want to make it fun. And uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying it. So come and join the club. Be part of it. Maybe win some cool prizes. Enough talk. Let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiators about to battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned to the year of 1951, and I have selected The Thing from Another World, starring Kenneth Toby. What year did the randomizer select for you? Well, I got 1956 and put into our Videodome Arena, Forbidden Planet, starring Leslie Nielsen. Awesome. Well, we got a fine, fine matchup for this one, folks. So it's important to point out that this isn't like Jared versus Jason. We each had to select from our assigned year. So I might very well like his better than mine or vice versa. Spoiler alert, I scored them both the same. Uh, (laughs) This is about us discussing beloved action films and coming to a consensus on which one is this episode's champion. Quick around the room on where we saw it and how we saw it. I own both of these films, and they are on my Plex server. Jason. Well, I coughed up a little bit of cash and rented Forbidden Planet from Amazon Prime, but then I had to pirate uh, the thing from another world from your Plex server. It's not piracy if I share my (laughs) stuff with you. That's right. (laughs) Kathleen. I have a friend that has something called a Plex server, and I watched it off that. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody's off of my Plex server. <laughs> well, from another, you've been plexing around. <laughs> I like it. All right, folks, it's time for your spoiler warning. We're going to spoil the heck out of both of these films. I mean, they're over 50, 60, <laughs> 70 years old. So anyway, they're old. These really shouldn't be big time spoilers. But hey, if you've never seen either of these films, pause this and watch them. And you know what? We say that every episode. I really mean it this time. Both these films are so good. <laughs> if you haven't seen them, go watch them. So Jason, Kathleen, and I will be back right after this musical break. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I will be right here waiting for you. Okay. Welcome back, folks. Let me jump in with some quick info on 1951's The Thing from Another World. That thing's alive, sir. I saw it. I saw it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat. Nothing happened. It was awful. You could see those hands and those eyes. You've got to do something about it. You've got to. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions. Astounding questions. That not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. We can only communicate with it. See? What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then a blast of cold air and I heard Olsen scream. Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light switch. 1.9. Needles hit the top.
Here's your cast and crew. It starred Kenneth Toby, James R. Ness, and Margaret Sheridan. It was directed by Christian Nyby. Synopsis goes a little something like this. When a military aircrew makes a supply run to a science station in the North Pole, they are called to investigate an interesting find under the ice. The interesting find appears to be a spacecraft, a spacecraft of unknown origin, and the team manages to find an alien creature frozen in the ice, which they take back to the science station. What can go wrong? Well, the creature thaws and begins its murderous rampage through the facility. The scientists want to study it. The air crew wants to kill it. So the division within the team isn't helping as the death and isolation grips everyone ever tighter. Here's some interesting trivia that I found, and there's a lot for this one. So you want to hear it? Here it goes. Trivia item number one. The skeleton crew at the South Pole Telescope Station. That's the real life thing, folks. The folks down at the South Pole have a tradition every winter of watching this movie and the other two adaptations of the thing on the very first night after the departure of the final plane of the season. So basically, once they get all the refuels and re-ups and all the planes leave and the skeleton crew that's left, they watch this one, the thing from 82, and the other thing remake that none of us have seen. <laughs> I saw it. I went to oh, okay. the theaters and saw it. That's pretty cool. I like it. Trivia item number two. There were close-up shots done of The Thing, but they were removed. It was felt that the makeup could not hold up to close scrutiny. In fact, Howard Hawks had a lot, a lot of makeup redos trying to get this creature to look right, and they never did quite what he wanted to do, so he got rid of the close-ups. But that ended up working in his favor because most folks say the lack of close-ups gives the creature a more mysterious quality in the film. And finally... This movie was mostly filmed at Glacier National Park, where it was legitimately very, very cold. And when they went back to L.A. to do pickup shots and inserts, they filmed it at a Los Angeles ice storage plant. <laughs> so, guys got to remember, this is before CGI. So, when you see those cold breaths, those are cold breaths. <laughs> These people were cold a lot while they were making this. Practical effects is what really makes me appreciate old movies like this. We'll discuss later. <laughs> oh, okay. With that, I hand it over to Jason. And I'm going to tell you a little something about 1956's Forbidden Planet. yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Well, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Not in. And bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, 
able to produce on order 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. You must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamond or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the forbidden planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen, are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible. Cast and crew included Walter Pigeon as Dr. Morbius, Leslie Nielsen as Commander Adams, and Anne Francis as Altera Morbius. It was directed by Fred M. Wilcox. Synopsis goes a little something like this. A starship and its crew are sent on a mission to investigate the disappearance of a colony. They arrive to find only two survivors, Dr. Edward Morbius and his daughter Altera. When the dauntless Captain Adams and his team are viciously attacked by a mysterious and deadly beast that killed the original colony, he tries in vain to convince the two survivors to leave. As the mystery unravels, we learn that the good doctor has stumbled upon a powerful secret that he intends to protect at any cost. Couple pieces of trivia. This is the first mainstream film in film history to have music performed by all electronic instruments. This was also Hollywood's first big-budget sci-fi movie, and its success paved the way for other science fiction classics like Star Trek and Star Wars. And finally, stuntman Frankie Daro was the first to operate the Robbie the Robot prop, but he was fired after nearly toppling over and destroying the $125,000 costume after he binged a five-martini lunch. <laughs> He was then replaced by Frankie Carpenter. And take away from this, other than, you know, maybe cut it off after four martinis. <laughs> <laughs> As if your name is Frankie, it looks like you're going to be a stuntman. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> a side note, the Forbidden Planet was also nominated for Best Visual Effects Oscar in 1957. Okay, now that we have the basics on today's contestants... 
Here's a couple of things that we want to talk about. Number one, match game. We have two films, five rounds. We have up to 10 possible matches for this game. So place your bets. How many times are Jason and I scores going to match? He hasn't seen my scores. I haven't seen his scores. So we're going to find out together. And speaking of scores, you know, I got a little something different to say about the score barometer this time around. Because I feel like Jason and I probably did the same thing. We probably put an additional 1950s lens over our scores. And, and a lot of, I mean, similar scores you might see for a movie here that you heard us give to John Wick. I mean, is it these movies as good of an action film as John Wick? No. <laughs> but through the lens of the Retro Rewind episode, you know, how do they hold up overall in their own category? So as usual, five, we're going to say is average. For the 50s, right? And then 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 is very good. 4, 3, 2, 1, not so good. But 5 is just fine. It's average. It's good, decent 50 stuff. So there's your barometer. Let's get into round one. I was taking shrapnel and caisson while you were crapping in your hands and rubbing it on your face. Round one is a story. How engaging or original is your story? We will start in 1951, The Thing from Another World. Kathleen. I enjoyed it until Mr. Scotty. Mr. Cameraman decided to bring up the fact that they're talking about a super intellectual carrot. <laughs> they didn't do it for you? No, it didn't. I'm like, wait, what? But that's what he was. He's an intellectual murderous carrot. <laughs> Jolly Green Giant just left now as a fan. I'm not listening to this anymore. <laughs> Overall, I really did enjoy it, but that part just kind of threw me for a loop. <laughs> Okay, okay. Jason. You know, I really like this story. I couldn't help but compare it to the remake, the 80s remake that we all love so much. And there are a lot of comparisons, but I was mostly intrigued by the differences. Whereas the 1980s movie was more about who can you trust, this movie was about a group of people who had a bond of trust that carried them through this whole ordeal. And so it was very much a different tone that I appreciated. I'm not saying it was better than the eighties remake, but going into this and seeing that it was a different tone, a different type of story, familiar yet different enough. It made watching it, the original, a very pleasurable experience. So I I have to give them some creativity points there. It was very original for the time. So I'll give it a good score. I think. See, this is why you don't let me go first, because now my notes makes me sound like an idiot. But okay. <laughs> that's nothing wrong with No, you. there's nothing wrong with murderous carrots, Kathy. No one's changing your mind on that. Super intellectual vampire carrots, because, you know, mm-hmm. I did want to make a note, too, back in the um, comparison with the remake. I noticed when the title came up of the movie i'm like why does that look so familiar so i did a little digging it has the same like ray type look to it that the remake does as well i actually didn't know that the 1982 one was a remake until maybe two or three years ago i kind of got put onto this thanks to give credit where it's due 
the Cinemassacre channel, James Ralph, who's more famous for being the angry video game nerd, but he also does a lot of retro film reviews. And I was like, wait, what? This is a remake? And I went into it thinking, okay, I mean, it's just no way. Because I love the 1982 movie, the thing. And I was like, there's just no way it can come close. And I was like, uh, for 1951, it came dang close. This is a good movie, ladies and gentlemen. I agree. I completely enjoyed it. I really did. A little Excellent. chauvinistic at points, you know, talking about Dane. Kathy, and- Kathy, we're going to move on. <laughs> Get it? How I cut her off? She was talking about chauvinistic. <laughs> Cut off that dame and let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it did have sort of that 50s mentality post-World War II. You know, of course, somehow it's still a little charming, you know. (laughs) I know. That's the vibe I got, too. I was like, it's very 50s post-World War II. But at the same time, it wasn't icky. It wasn't icky or anything like that. It just was 50s. I had to laugh. I (laughs) I was watching it with Joanna Jordan. We had it up and I was like. Wouldn't you know it, this Air Force pilot dude could go all the way to the North Pole and find a super attractive woman <laughs> just hanging out the North. What are the odds on that? What are the odds on that? I got the vibe they knew each other from somewhere else. From though. somewhere before? Yeah, I felt yeah. they played that too. Yeah. Again, this all wraps well into story. It had a little more, a little more layers than, than you might think. But you know what? We've gone on about 1951's Thing from Another World. It's time to shift gears and go to the Forbidden Planet 1956. This time, Jason... I will let you take the lead. Well, I know it's kind of a capital crime for a science fiction nerd like myself to have never seen this movie, but this was the first time that I'd seen it. And I'd heard people talk about how it gave birth to the science fiction genre, the big picture, and films like Star Trek. And I definitely got that vibe watching. You could definitely see Captain Kirk and Spock replacing this crew. This was definitely a Star Trek-like story, and you can see how it influenced that genre. So for that, it was a little difficult. I wrestled with this because I thought, well, I've kind of seen this before. I've seen this many times in different Star Trek episodes, and then I'd have to remember, but this came before that, so it's let's give credit (laughs) where credit's due. So that's kind of a, a little bit of a long-winded way of me saying this was difficult for me to score because on the one hand, I'd seen this type of story so many times, but then on the other hand, I had to remember where I was that I'm looking at the OG, if you will. Completely understand, Jason, where you're coming from. As I mentioned, I think to you before, I've been watching, working my way slowly through Peter Gunn. And sometimes I watch the Peter Guns, and I'm like, oh, this is such a James Bond ripoff. And I wait, 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 no, this is 1958 and Bond starts in 62. <laughs> so you got to give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. But Kathleen, Forbidden Planet, 1956, story, your thoughts. I probably enjoyed this story quite a bit more just because it was in my notes. I have a deeper psychological thriller. Like, I just feel like there were more layers to this one with the whole psychological aspect of what the monster was. Mm -hmm. Jason, it was the first time I had seen this movie as well. So I was quite impressed for its age and how well it held up. But we'll talk more about that when we get to spectacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a high spectacle score for this one too. (laughs) I really do. Yeah, the story's going to be interesting because I do agree with Kathy. That's a deeper story in Forbidden Planet. So that is a plus. The minus is... There's a lot of talky-talky in Forbidden Planet, a lot of exposition to get that story out. Whereas in Think from Another World, you get to fight a vampiric carrot pretty early on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, hey, 
Anyways, let's get them scored. Jason, let's go back to the thing from another world, 1951. You like the story to the tune of? Liked it to a tune of a seven. I thought it was original. I thought it was entertaining. I thought the script was tight, and it kept me awake as I watched it at the end of a work day. So if I don't fall asleep, not off falling asleep to it, it's obviously done its job well as far as the story is concerned. Oh, we are close. I liked it a skosh more than you. I gave it an eight, mainly because I know what it begat. I'm a huge fan of 82, and it held up so well when compared to that. I think I was just a little taken with it. I certainly was. Something else I learned along the way about this film, just to toss this in, is this is one of the very first films that isn't afraid to overlap dialogue, especially when crazy things are going and multiple people are talking. Back in the early days of film, you know, in these early 50s, it was still very much, now you say your line, then this person says their line, then this person says their line, and they weren't afraid to overlap dialogue to create a more realistic environment with all the chaos that was going on. Hadn't really been done before to the extent they did it in this. and. Kind of a cool effect, really, to make it a more realistic movie in a weird way. I know what you're talking about, but I felt it was a little like I probably had to rewind it a couple times for that because I like to, especially I feel like with Scotty, the camera guy, like I missed a lot of he had so many good one liners. Oh, he does. He's a very And I (laughs) felt like some of those were stepped on. You know, I just felt like, you know, some of the lines were stepped on for that same reason. We're used to that on Longbox Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you can tell by now. Well, I will say one of the things that I thought made the movie better because they were rapid fire dialogue was it really made me appreciate the captain because the captain was having to make all these decisions and he was getting pestered by the news reporter on one hand, the scientists on the other, and everybody's making demands of him. He's trying to figure this stuff out. And he just was calmly going through the whole thing. Like he never no, second guessed yes. any decision he made. He, he just kept right on moving. Made him quick. Mm-hmm. So to me, it made it look like, Hey, this is a guy that's got his stuff together. Mm, I might have something to say about that. <laughs> yep. He definitely subscribed to a great military motto. I learned during my time in service, a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. Make a decision and get moving. <laughs> so, with that, let's make a decision and get moving to Forbidden Planet 1956 and do some scoring. Think from another world, I had it at an eight. Jason had it at seven. Forbidden Planet, Jason has it at a. I gave it a seven as well. Kind of totally different stories, but both very original, both very crisp. And I have to give OG credits to Forbidden Planet, so seven from me. Well, it's a weird that we didn't get a match game, but we kind of got a match game because I gave it an eight as I gave the last one an eight. And for the same reasons, like two totally different films, but engaging in their own unique way, just like you said, Jason. So sevens from Jason, eights from Jared, and it's time to bring in the sniper. Load up your laser blaster or your carrot slicer. (laughs) 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 Whatever you want to use to be the sniper, which one of these films do you think was best in terms of story and good luck with that because Jason and I scored them the same, same, same. <laughs> well, the consternation that I see going on over, she's having a hard time. I just felt more engaged in Forbidden Planet. The thing would have competed better for story if it had not been about the super intellectual vampire carrot. <laughs> when you say it like that, it makes it exciting to me. <laughs> you say it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. We pontificated a lot in that round. So let's get into round two and that's Jason's job. It's time to die. Okay. Round two is the hero. How cool is the hero and the hero's entourage? And let's just get into it and start with Kathy. Let's talk about thing from another world. What did you think about the hero and the crew in that film? I completely enjoyed the heroes in this movie. I love the fact they're a team. We had two different teams at points, but they worked together. I like this group of men because they were smarter than the other movie. They were much more charming than in the other movie. And several of them were a little bit sarcastic, which I kind of enjoyed a little bit more. So I enjoyed the heroes in this movie much more than in the other movie. I have a suspicion I know where a bullet's going to go on the sniper round. I think so too. Possibly. Hey, didn't you say make a decision and go with it? So. All right. All right. All right, Jared. I assume you have a few things to add to this. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. I'm sure it's not going to be anything about what branch of the military they're in or anything like that. Listen, no, don't you yet. steal this from me. <laughs> As I've lamented on this show on many occasions, the United States Air Force, my beloved branch of service, gets the short end of the stick. When it comes to movies, there's so few movies that feature the Air Force that are like really good. Stargate. Stargate comes to mind. Yes. That's probably the best one. But here I found another one. We have a United States Air Force air crew that is the central hero team of the film. How cool is that? Air Force people out there who are listening, which is probably Delvin. I mean, (laughs) it's so rare that you find a movie like this so i was very excited to find one that an air force signature crew and then on top of that i've also lamented on the show many times how officers particularly junior officers are portrayed in movies as cowardly or bumbling or not caring which you know we try not to be <laughs> when we're junior officers and the captain who is the lead hero of the film like we mentioned before he was good and i'm going to give full credit to think from another world for really getting what Kathy talked about, sort of the vibe of the crew. This rings true to, for air crews that I know. They are sarcastic and they cut up with one another and they make jokes, but they also all know their job. They all know the responsibilities. They all know the chain of command and they mm-hmm. all do their job. And I was impressed as heck. Now, giving some thought to it, I was like, well, World War II was only what? It only been, help me out with the historical matches. It had only been over for six years. Six but years. Film, yeah. yeah. You know, the formula is still fresh in everyone's mind. They know how air crews act because a lot of people were on air crews back in the day. So anyway, I just thought it was uh, really wonderfully done. It was so fresh and surprising to me for both categories, Air Force and junior officers to get a good movie. And I had to go all the way back to 1951 to find it. But there it is. Well, it's also interesting because historically i think the air force became its own branch in 49 so it had only been its own branch for like two years by this point and there were a couple of times in there where the airmen were referred to as soldiers they kind of switched back and forth between that terminology so you could still see some of the remnants of the old army air corps days there as well so that was interesting the only other thing i wanted to throw out was nikki at the end of the movie i wanted to marry her man she was like the woman that uh, captain went in there. He was all upset. And she was like, yeah, dude, we, we had a good time, man. You were drunk. I had to go. I, <laughs> I had stuff to do. 
<laughs> and then, you know, she charms him back. And then she just, you know, a little bit kinky with the little rope scene. Just a little. She had a little kink in there. I thought, <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then what really got me is at the end, when they're going to face that monster for the final time, she stands up to go with him. And he's like, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but she was ready to go. She was going to stand by her man and got her yeah, respect. Yeah, she was that. really good. Side note of more trivia that I found on this. She just kind of faded into obscurity after this film. She got like a four picture deal. She just got smaller and smaller roles. And then she did a little bit of TV and then she was done acting by the early sixties. And I'm like, that's a shame. Cause she was really charming in this. And just for the record, the United States Air Force, 1947. You're close. 47. Sorry. So, okay. But still, you know, relatively new. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I just didn't want people to come on there and be like, how did you let him get away with? You should have known it was. (laughs) Sorry, Joe Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Joe. and Delvin. (laughs) (laughs) Two scenes that really stood out to me that really gripped me as, as we say on the show, we're both combat veterans. So we like the realism. And there's a scene in there where the sergeant has concerns because the captain has put the guy on guard duty with the monster for like four hours. He's not feeling that. He's thinking it's too long for him to be in there with some crazy alien thing. And if you watch it, how he dealt with it, that is so militarily authentic because he said, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, can I talk with you, mister? He took him outside so that he wasn't seen as challenging him in front of the other officers or anything said his piece respectfully. The captain acknowledged it, you know, said, yep, good call. Go make it happen. Right. So I thought that was really well done, really well executed and really shows the chemistry. And at the same time, these guys are all cracking on the captain a little bit too, because they know Mm -hmm. the thing with Nikki and everything. And they're like little subtle digs, like, (laughs) you know, and he's, you know, he's taking it. But when it comes down to business, that's the sergeant's like, okay, I'm going to talk with him outside. I thought that was good. Absolutely. And then the other scene was the poker scene at the very beginning. That's one of those Pope in the pool moments I'm always trying to explain to you folks. You get a sense of all the, your main characters there at that one table. Not a lot of exposition, but watch how they're playing their hands. The one lieutenant overplays the other lieutenant. His co-pilot is confident in everything, but knows he's not going to go against his captain because he knows his captain's got it, so knows when to fold. And the captain runs the table interesting interesting i didn't pick on the subtlety i need to rewatch it that's a cool pickup jason all right well let's move this thing along and i'm gonna let jared go first and talk a little bit about the heroes from forbidden planet well it's not every day you get to see frank drebin in space jason now if he would have said she had a lovely then you know <laughs> now i gotta i gotta t- edit kathy now just, uh, team jason damn that was me dad that was kathy. That was kathy. i just said the word <laughs> it's not a bad word well jason i'm glad you asked you know most people forget that leslie nielsen had a career before his big comedy breakout in airplane and that he did serious movies, much like Lloyd Bridges did some serious sci-fi movies before he kind of got comedy typecast in the Hot Shots films and so on. <laughs> those guys are great at those things, absolutely. But man, it, it was really cool to see Leslie Nielsen also be a captain. We've talked about a captain in the other film. And again, it was a pretty well-run ship 
even when he basically had a crew of like 19 very frisky crew members and one really sexy woman on this planet, that was like the biggest thing he had to manage. It was like, I got to make sure everything stays on the up and up. Because, man, they went to that dude's house. And they were like openly hitting on his daughter in front of (laughs) (laughs) But she came out there intentionally. She knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, she too had been lonely for a long period of time. But anyways, like Jason said earlier, you could feel the shades of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in this. You could feel absolute shades of Star Trek in it. And it was well done. And again, I felt a post-World War II influence from the moment we first saw the crew. It felt to me absolutely like a submarine crew, Mm -hmm. like the way you'd see orders going about a sub. I did have to laugh, though, because I was like, apparently, no matter how far in the future you get, cooks always look like cooks. (laughs) (laughs) That dude could have stepped off of a World War II submarine right into the spaceship. Out of a a Civil War uh, tent. (laughs) Not that's to beat. But anyway, yeah, well played all around, and I'll leave the rest for Kathleen, the MVP. Kathy, take it. I feel like maybe I need to watch it for a third time, because... I did not get any of the same chemistry with this group of guys. I mean, just like the one scene where the one guy was talking to the girl and he's like totally just like bad mouthing his captain to the girl. I'm like, that's in a hushed voice in private. So the captain doesn't hear. I don't think any of them had the same respect for each other like the group did in the thing. That's just my opinion. I just didn't think they were as cohesive of a group. Well, they're clearly modeled after Navy guys and not Air Force guys. So that's your whole problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's why when y'all say, I understand the Trek comparison, because I read also, you know, Gene Roddenberry, that he took a lot of his ideas from this movie. But the chemistry with McCoy, Kurt, and Spock were a hundred times better than the chemistry with these Mm, guys. Oh, certainly. Certainly. That was much more of the focus for Star Trek. For all of its sci-fi, I know we're changing topics, but for all of its <laughs> sci-fi-ishness, I've often said it is the story of friendship in space. Is all it really is. It's military friendship in space, as I see it. I agree. To me, Forbidden Planet, the heroes are not really what this story is about That's at fair. all to me. To me, they played more of a background role than the visual and the villain. That's more than fair. The thing that got me that scream star Trek is that scene where they all have to step into those little. Well, yeah, <laughs> I thought the same thing. Things. I even wrote in my notes, star Trek teleporters. <laughs> yeah. I felt kind of the same way that you did Kathy, that there wasn't that sense of camaraderie that I got from thing from another world. It was very much like they'd been on the ship for about a year together. And the next person that farted in that cot was <laughs> Marooned on Altair Four, you know, was going to get kicked kicked out the airlock. Yeah, you're done, man. Well, I guess we just have to score it at this point. I'll go ahead and ask Jared, what did you score the heroes from Thing from Another World? I've got them on par with Roger Moore and a few to a kill, (laughs) and a nice (laughs) strong seven. I thought they were real good, real likable. Like we talked about, strong seven. Good crew of heroes. Man, I went a little higher than you on this one. I went with an eight. And I thought I was going to come in low because, like, this might be Jared's first 11. This is Air Force heroes. Wait, wait till we get to the 
deduction round where sometimes oh, I give okay. bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> multiplication round now. So yeah, I thought that they were very memorable. Each one of them had a unique personality that I remember, and uh, I thought the chemistry was really good. So eight for me. All right, let's move into Forbidden Planet. What did you give them? Uh, much like Kathy, I picked up on the fact that they were a cool group, but not as cool as the others, which I gave a seven to. So I gave them a six. So I'm wondering, Jason, did you give them a seven? I did. Yeah, I felt <laughs> the same way. We're so close to a match game. We're just... <laughs> Again, I think I gave it some Leslie Nielsen love in the fact that it was so original that I overlooked the lack of chemistry with the crew a little bit, I think. I just point out how handsome he was as a young man. Oh, <laughs> look at me. He won that girl's heart. He was like, put on some clothes. She was like, I hate you. Will you marry me? He's like, yeah, what? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Let's get on the ship. All right, Kathy, you're the sniper. Where's the bullet going for this one, for the hero? I'm going with Bob from The Thing from Another World. We talked about cute. Bob was adorable. Oh, my God, he was so cute. <laughs> and plus, my favorite line from Forbidden Planet regarding these heroes, y'all will appreciate this. A commanding officer doesn't need brains, just a good, loud voice. <laughs> Much like podcasting. <laughs> 100% the sniper bullets go into the thing from another planet. Got the decision made, and I'm going to pass it back to you, Jared. That brings us to round three. If you're up to me, i just kill you. Round three is the villain. How menacing, how evil, how entertaining is your villain? We start. In 1951, the thing from another world, Jason. You know, I think the villain was kind of the weak point of this film. Kathy's touched on it. Not that it was bad. And again, if you look at it from the 50s lens, it was probably pretty scary to a 1950s moviegoer at the time. Whoever the actor was, was physically very imposing. He was very big. But there was kind of a lack of a scare element there that you have from the 80s remake where you're wondering... Who's been infected? Is this person who they say they are? Who's going to stab me in the back? There was definitely a creepier vibe to the 80s remake than there was the original. Having said that, you know, I still thought that the villain was decent, looked scary. And, you know, they had some scenes that they couldn't show, but they alluded to, like, oh, he's got them hung up there predator style with the neck slit and everything. So there was some creepiness there. But I think this is the one that I scored the lowest as I was going through the ranking system. I'll stop there. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. I think 82 is like, who can you trust? And 51 is more like, where is he? Like mm -hmm. trying to keep up where he's at in the building. Almost like an alien type of thing. Yeah. I got that vibe with the little counter, the movement counter thing. I thought mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. Kathleen looks like she's raring to pitch in her two cents. So Kathy, what you got? I was just going to let y'all know that it's James Arnez is the monster from The Thing, a.k.a. Matt Dillon from Gunsmoke. If you're a Gunsmoke fan, I watched it as a kid. Jason, I will agree with you. He is the weakest link. Any monster that saunters versus goes after his prey is a little odd, but we both we all know how I feel about the super intellectual vampire carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else notice in the one scene where they had barricaded the end of that hallway they were in, 
that the door Doors opened. Open the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did that Scooby Doo mistake. You know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. But okay. <laughs> Another thing I pointed out to my family, I was like, wait, those barriers don't do anything. The doors open the other way. <laughs> they had chemistry, but maybe not the sharpest tools in the shed. Okay. That brings us to 1956's Forbidden Planet. Good luck talking about the nebulousness of the villain in this one. Kathleen! It's probably a little too intellectual for me because I'm really not that smart. But I enjoyed the fact that this was deep psychological. It wasn't that pretty cool animated monster. But it was id. We all supposedly have this id, this unconscious. Let me delve into some of my research. The personality component that works to satisfy basic urges, needs, and desires. That is what the id is. That is what this creature was. Anyway, I like the villain in this movie. Fair enough. I agree with you too, Kathy. I think the um, animation that was done on it for 56 was really good. And I think you did a good job sort of nailing that. I mean, you gave us definition of id, which does help because it's such a weird and nebulous villain. So yeah, you were up against quite a task. I think you did pretty well there. Jason? Yeah, I think Kathy nailed it. It's the scariest monster of all the monster we bring with us, the monster that you can't outrun, you can't outfight, you can't outthink because it's always there. And the power of this planet and the people that came before it enabled this beast to roam free. And the crew is absolutely helpless in spite of all of its advanced weaponry to do anything about it. So, yeah, Kathy nailed it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I believe one of the lines that he actually said, it was creation by mere thought, which is a tad bit scary. I did have a moment in the movie where I questioned, was it him or was it her? Because when she came running mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. after the attack on the ship, she's the one that said she had a dream, not him. He was asleep too, but she's the one that got scared of the dream that she was having. So I'm still not 100% sure that, the real danger is on that ship with everybody else. Good point. It's a real good point. That is a good point. Yeah. I kind of walked away with that seed of doubt myself. Yeah. This is, was actually the second watch I've done for this movie. I watched it about a year ago. And then when it came up for action film face off, I refreshed on it. And I picked up something this time I didn't notice before when he gave them the sort of the tour and they had that wall of lights. And he's like, even when I got this thing at max power, I get like 4% of one light. And then what I didn't notice before is when the monster's attacking and he's sleeping, the lights are all starting to light up behind him while he's asleep. And I was like, oh, that's kind of creepy cool. And I didn't pick that up the first time. So that was a cool detail around the, I guess, villainy. Anyway, speaking of which, all we got to do is score them. Jason, back to 1951, the North Pole, the thing from another world, scale one to ten, go! I gave it a six. Thought it was above average just for the physicality aspect of it. But like I said, probably the weakest element of the film. Welcome to our very first match game, folks. I gave it a six as well. Forbidden Planet, 1956. Jason, the very nebulous villain that's there. What do you got? I gave that one a seven. Might have scored that a little bit low as we've been talking through it. I guess as I watched it, I kind of figured out what was going on early just because of the formula that I've seen so many times since then. So to me, I might have been a little unfair to it, but I ended up on a seven. If it makes you feel any better, I gave it a six. <laughs> so I thought it was, again, same scores, think from another world, but really different villains, thought given form, which is kind of cool. But it just, 
let's be honest, Forbidden Planet was more about talky, 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 not as much about this villain. Although the villain moment, spoiler alert, it's probably going to get my favorite action scene moment, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that shortly. Kathleen, sniper's bullet. Should I make y'all guess which one is going to get my sniper bullet? I, think I don't know that it's all about vampiric carrots, <laughs> super intelligent vampiric carrots. carrots, I, do, carrots, carrots. <laughs> I do love vampires. I do love carrots. I'm not intellectual, but my sniper bullet is going to the id as in forbidden planet. Fair enough. And I understand your decision and that's perfectly fine. Plus the fact that Jason just scared me more with his, that we carry it with us all the time. Yeah, that's definitely getting my bullet. And with that, I guess we are done with round three. All right. That means I'm taking the helm here and going into round four, where we're going to talk about the overall spectacle. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. So we're going to talk about the visual stuff. How good are the uh, stunts, the effects, or the cinematography? Uh, we're going to talk about the sets. We'll talk about the music, the audio quality, soundtrack, all that good stuff. Let Jared kick off with Thing from Another World. I think the spectacle of the Thing from Another World, its strength is in its environment. Much like the 1982 version. You feel isolated. You feel cold. You feel alone with a dangerous creature. I think that's really impressive. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here because I know we're going to talk about Forbidden Planet in a minute, but for these movies to be five years apart, they look worlds apart, okay? Spoiler alert, Forbidden Planet looks amazing, especially when you sit side by side with 51's thing from another world. I had to make that point to make this point. I think the basicness, I think the black and white enhances the environment of thing from another world. Like it's basic stripped down nature plays in its favor. So it's more stripped down. There's not a ton of music. It's all driven by dialogue and circumstance. And it captivates. I mean, we're talking about a movie from 1951. We often talk about this, Jason. Like, did you pick up your phone, check Twitter? Did you get bored with it? Hell no. I stayed engaged beginning to end. It has a capturability. I just might have made up a new word as a capturability to it that I think is amazing, especially for an old 1951 black and white film. Look for a pretty decent score for me for the spectacle of Thing from Another World. Yeah, I agree. I think the one common denominator between the 80s classic and the original here is that feeling of isolation. I think you nailed it on the head. Let's see what Kathy has to say. I completely agree with everything Jared said. You felt the cold. I wasn't a fan of them leaving Tex in the room by himself. Like they were like, yeah, sure. Go stay. <laughs> yeah, I worried about that too. I had worries about Tex as well. I like Tex. But no, I completely agree. It's the simplicity of it. Like I kind of mentioned a little bit before, the practical effects. They didn't have a lot to work with. That's what impresses me with actors in movies back in these days. I mean, they acted. They didn't have a bunch of things around them to play off of. It was literally just them acting one-on-one with each other. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a combination of that isolation, the cold. There's no cavalry coming. They have to save themselves. You know, we talked about the chemistry. I go back to that scene where they were trying to get the spaceship out of the ice and they used the... <laughs> the thermite. <laughs> it's just like birds' <laughs> There was not a lot of uh, 
you know, like, oh, well, I guess. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to think to him, like, well, I guess that's what you get. You get a bunch of inexperienced guys out there encountering something for the first time. They're like, they did what any one of those military people would have done, Jason. Let's blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got the thermite. I got thermite. I got thermite. That's well, exactly did, what would have happened. They did burn down a room in their <laughs> they location. They did set their own were. room on fire. <laughs> That's good defense right there. Oh, and, and while we're while we're riffing, I couldn't help but notice another connection to the 1982 movie is that they are sort of heavily influenced by dogs. Like dogs have a, a somewhat major part to play in the movie. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, that was interesting. I just remembered a whole subject I was going to talk about villains with that movie because I think the scientist was kind of a villain. Yeah, he, he kind of he wasn't helping out. That's for sure. No, he was very self-motivated and they tried to explain how this could control the world. He didn't care. He just wanted to study it. That's the world he came from. But I mean, who amongst us didn't love the moment where he walked right up to that thing and was like, I want to study you. That thing was like, get out of my way. <laughs> True, it didn't make for one of the better moments. <laughs> you know, but you're absolutely right, Kathy. I think it does play kind of into spectacle because it added a whole nother layer of, like Jason said, there's no cavalry coming. We're isolated. And oh, by the way, half the people we got here aren't exactly working with us. It all added up. I think that's yeah. a good observation. To me, the real spectacle of that movie was Scotty. I loved him. Now, Scotty was great. The <laughs> he, was such, man. he was such an a-hole, though. <laughs> he, was, he was lovable a-hole, though. A point I thought was important was the fact that after they'd lost the flying saucer... And this shows you how isolated they are. They're trying to send out these communications as all this stuff is happening. And the first communique they get back from their command is, try to recover the flights. <laughs> it was like, that was six scenes ago, man. We blew that thing up with thermite all time <laughs> And again, that felt like, Jason, didn't that feel so military authentic? Like, you'd blow up a building in the military, they like, the commandors would come down, preserve said building. And you'd be like, well... <laughs> <laughs> we blew that thing up. Ooh, got some bad news, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, and their reaction, too, was just like they all look at each other like, yeah, figures. All right. Yeah, I've totally lost control. We're going to Forbidden Planet. We're talking about spectacle. Kathy, I'm going to let you start this time. I loved it. 1956. Amazing, amazing visual movie. I was blown away. I watch sci-fi movies all the time. It's my thing. This movie was, it blew me away. I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. One of my favorite moments when the spaceship's landing and the mountains and the moon or other planet or whatever it was, it was probably just a painting, a matte painting that they do in movies back then. And it was absolutely beautiful. I can confirm it was a matte painting. Yes. Okay. And then my other favorite, when they're in... I think they called it the machine room. It was after they went through the corridors and that like the scale, I felt how large that space was supposed to be. I was blown away. I did have thoughts when I first started the movie. As you both know, I'm in the middle of my James Bond rewatches. It's the right thing to do. I figured y'all would appreciate that. I felt very much Bond vibes through this whole movie. The matching uniforms to all the crew at the beginning, the set pieces, like Dr. No, some of those set pieces from those movies, Moonraker, yeah. 
That's what this movie reminded me of. But again, this movie was before those movies. I felt like it was the sci-fi Bond movie before Moonraker was the sci-fi Bond movie. (laughs) Have I gone on enough about how much I love this spectacle, the visuals of this movie? A lot of important notes. I think the matte painting work was phenomenal. I know they consulted with actual NASA scientists to get the colors Mm. right. So that green type of sky was intentionally chosen. The sets, they worked with engineers to get unique sounds for that big labyrinth of a space that was underneath in those tunnels. So there was a lot of attention to detail in this film, and it really showed. One negative I do have is, I think you mentioned this in your trivia notes, the electronic music. Mm -hmm. Towards the end, especially, I think it was a scene where it was supposed to be a more intimate scene, but it got a bit distracting and a little disconcerting. It was a little too much. Like they kind of overplayed their hand with that. Okay, fair enough. I see some nodding of agreement from Jared. What say you about the effects of Forbidden Planet? As you pointed out, Jason, it's sort of my thing to listen to music and scores, and I'm a little more in tune with them than maybe your average moviegoer. And I have to agree with Kathy. I think the score was super creative, which added to the ambiance of the film. But then there Mm -hmm. were parts where I was like, they could have used a more traditional score here, especially for the quiet, more romantic moments, or maybe soften the tone or something. But I agree with Kathy. It was a little distracting. Not too bad, but man, echo everything that Kathy said. How the Ten Commandments beat this movie for better effects, I'm not sure. I mean, that party in the seat thing was pretty cool. The thing that got me was the same thing that Kathy, like the huge scale and scope of the machine rooms. And I'm still, this is 1956, and I am not certain how they did that. Because they had the people walking at a far away distance. You could gave such scale because they had the people walking on the bridge. And I'm like, is that animated? Is that shot from afar and inserted into the, I don't know. It was incredibly good. And I mean, 1956, wow. The only detractor for the spectacle is because visually great music, pretty good audio effects. You got Robbie, the robot. First time we got Robbie, the robot. He's famous, right? There's a lot of things going for it. The only distractor that I found was it had a little bit of that kind of check your Twitter thing, because there were some long, long scenes of expositional dialogue. While I might have tuned into those scenes pretty well the first time I watched the movie, the second time, once you kind of know the storyline, I'm not so much listening to those long scenes of dialogue anymore. I, I think this movie works really well upon the first viewing. Around the second viewing, it still looks great, but you start tuning out <laughs> some of those long dialogue scenes. So that was the only thing I felt worked against this spectacle, and I will shut up. Okay, scoring them. We've got to score. Thing from another world. Spectacle. Jared, what are you giving it? Again, I really, really liked it. And through my 50s lens, I gave it an eight. I just was so engaged in it. I gave it an eight. Very nice. I not quite as high. I went with a seven, but really liked it. And what about Forbidden Planet? As you could probably figure even more than Think from Another World. Such a beautiful film. I gave it a nine. Wow. Yeah, I landed on a seven for this one as well. I mean, spectacle for two very different reasons. I think one relied more on the environment, the other on effects and matte paintings. I respected them both for what they were. So seven for me. I still don't know how they pulled off that scene where they magnetized that dude to the, like they pulled a prank and they magnetized the dude. Yeah, (laughs) Actually, I think I saw something on Wikipedia that, or maybe it was IMDb and the goofs. Apparently 
that you can see the wires. He was wired from my understanding and lifted him up. I didn't catch it. I didn't either. Well, actually, it goes back to you, Kathy, because we've scored uh, films and it's up to you to tell us where the bullet's going. Hmm. (laughs) Let me decide. I think I haven't thought about this at all. I saw the high roll you gave me when I gave Forbidden Planet a seven. So I (laughs) I have a feeling I know where this is going. 100,000% it is going to Forbidden Planet for spectacle. I've been waiting on this round. (laughs) If I could have two sniper bullets go towards this for this round, I would. Well, Jared, why don't you take it for the best action scene? I got it. Let's get to round five. Put the knife away and shut your mouth. As Jason says, round five is the best action scene. We pretend it's my round. It's Jason's round. Jason, you probably had it pretty easy because there's not a ton of action scenes. There's tense moments, and I'm interested to see how you broke down the action scenes for Thing from Another World. Got four action scenes for Things from Another World. First one probably isn't an action scene so much, but I was entertained by it, so I threw it on there. And that's the scene where they're trying to pull the UFO from the ice. I just was so entertained by that. And I thought there was a little bit of element of tension because the storm's coming in and everything. But I just loved the reaction. So I gave it the title, Well, Darn, We Lost a UFO. <laughs> oh, well, let's go get drinks. <laughs> Again, it just felt so right for any military group I've ever been with. <laughs> well, we blew that up. Because <laughs> number one, they're like, ah, guess UFOs are real. Guess we should try to get it. We lost it. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Okay, second scene was the first time they encountered the alien creature in the green room. So I called that one, what are you guys growing in that there green room? (laughs) (laughs) Third one, the fight inside the little barracks area where they set the whole thing on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a plan. Let's set everything on fire. That's the plan. (laughs) The final is the final battle where they electrocute the thing to death. I called that one. Ride the lightning plant. <laughs> I always got to bleep something. <laughs> That's your bleeping one. For you know what? I, you know what my alternate title for that one was because I did write one down. What's that? I bet that smells delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like broccoli. That could that could have been for either one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Forbidden Planet because I really only have three action scenes here, and I stretched to get three. Let me tell you, number one was when. They're attacked by the tiger in the garden, and you get to see him use a little blaster thing. I called that one, it's the fry of the tiger. (laughs) The second one was the battle against the, we'll call it the entity, as it's trying to get into the camp, and they got the laser cannons all set up, and they're blasting away with it. I had a hard time with this one, so I just called it game over, man, game over, and homage to aliens. It's (laughs) coming for you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a good one. It follows. <laughs> that's what I should call number three. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's the third one was the chase by the id through the building and everything until they finally are able to get rid of it. I had originally called this one, you can run all you want, but you can't outrun yourself. Jesus, <laughs> oh, it's deep, man. It's deep. It's that's deep. pretty good. That's pretty good. But we could call it It Follows. It Follows. <laughs> so those are it. All right, man. All right. Out of, out of uh, all the scenes offered for Thing from Another World, which one was your favorite? I liked 
I've got a plan. Let's set everything on fire. <laughs> it was fun to watch. That it? was fun to watch. <laughs> that was a melee up in there. You know, I don't know if this goes in with any of the ones that you picked. I want to say maybe it was the one he first showed up, but I, I really like the part where the dogs fought him outside of the snow. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of included that one. I was thinking that one because he basically ran out of the room and then outside and then the dogs were after him. It was all kind of one scene, if I remember right. Yeah, but- I think you're right. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter because I'm going to pick the scene that I called That Smells Delicious, but you <laughs> you called it something with a bad word. <laughs> Ride the lightning plant. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to pick that one, but I liked them all about the same. Which one are you picking? Uh, Ride the lightning I don't remember having one called Ride the Lightning. <laughs> oh, my father <laughs> listens to the show and he's giving me some strict orders. <laughs> Kathy, what was your favorite action scene from Think from Another World? There's nothing funnier than someone getting tased. So I like when they zapped him with, they electrocuted him. Mm, that was, that was good stuff. What was good. that one called again, Kathy? <laughs> Just, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to Forbidden Planet 1956. Jason, your favorite action scene? I got to go with Game Over, man. Game Over. Because. I was impressed by how good the effects were on that. The creature effects and the little blaster cannons. It was an intense scene. It was a good battle scene. So, yeah, game over, man. Game over for me. Definitely. I'm going to agree. I like the animation and I like the tenseness. Kathy? Three Pete. I agree. That's my favorite as well. Love it. Let's double back and score them. Jason, your favorite action scene from the thing from Another World was when they set the entire room on fire. One to ten. A seven. Really liked it. We were like one point off. We only had one match game this whole thing because I scored my favorite one a six. But it's one of those things where I thought they were all sixes. They were all above average and good. Action is not the fort. And that's how it's pronounced, by the way. It's not the fort of either one of these films. But they had good tense moments. And I gave it a six. So moving to Forbidden Planet, Jason, your favorite action scene in mine and Kathy's was all game over, man, game over. You liked it the tune of? I gave it an eight. And again, just for the time, because mm-hmm. I think that almost holds up today. I mean, if I look at something like Tron or something from the 80s, it's as good as that. Absolutely. That's a fair point, but I still gave it a six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it was just a little too brief for me. I mean, both of these got sixes for me, which are slightly above average. And I guess during my 50s lens, what I was factoring in is I've seen a lot of cool like World War II 50s films that had really cool action scenes in them that were longer, you know, because these were so brief. I think that's what was holding me back. So no big deal there. All we have left now is Kathy's sniper bullet. Kathy, which film do you think had better action scenes? Think from another world or Forbidden Planet? I think I'm going to go with Forbidden Planet for the scene with the monster attacking the ship. That's the fair reason enough. I picked that. Okay. You just really dug the effects in the, in the yeah. tense moment. Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. And that's the end of round five. The disease, not the cure. Well, that's just going to bring us to one round left, and we all know what it is, the one we know and love, the deduction round. It's time to get rid of points for the ridiculous. Jared, are you going to take away any points from Thing from Another World? No, I'm not, but as promised, I'm going to give it a bonus point. Meow, 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 meow. Finally, a good Air Force film with a competent officer. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. I, you know, not just that, although that did sing to me. We've talked multiple times in this episode about how it feels right for military, like from their relationships, the way they talk to each other, to the way they blew up a UFO with a thermite bomb. Because, you know, <laughs> hey, nobody's tried this before. 
I just thought it all felt so right. I loved it. I gave it a bonus point. Plus one. All right. Fair enough. I didn't have anything wrong with it, so I'm just going to leave it alone. And then we're going to go over to Forbidden Planet. Jared, you take away any points from Forbidden Planet? No, none at all. It absolutely avoided all the bad trappings of 50 sci-fi movies and accentuated all the good parts. So nothing to take away. I didn't have anything to take away from it either. I'm not going to give it a point, but one of the things that I also liked about it was when I first saw the tiger on that Altair 4 planet, I was like, this is ridiculous. How are they going to have a tiger on there? Pretend like this is some sort of other planet, right? <laughs> but then they had an explanation for it. Like the, oh, the long time ago, the people went back to Earth, took these creatures here, and so now they roam about on Altair 4. So I was like, well, good for them. That way they can use regular old animals and mm. they don't have to paint it up like white with space bear <laughs> space bear like flash gordon it's good thinking i just thought i'd throw that in there kathy the sniper bullets are all done but you do get a chance to air any grievances you have before we close out the deduction round did you have any grievances i don't like cooked carrots <laughs> <laughs> you and you and that james arness was that his name you guys aren't getting along yes fair enough <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of the official rounds. All right, folks, for those of you playing at home, if you guessed just one match game, then you guessed right. But we were like, we were in lockstep with our thoughts, but our scores were just not vibing in the force on this one, Jason. But we were close. One match game only. Everyone is safe to drive home <laughs> from this episode. <laughs> That's right. So good news on that. And at this point, I always point out which bullets went where kathy apparently more taken with forbidden planet where four bullets went which is one bullet going to think from another world and we have an action film face off first the sniper determined the outcome when all the math was said and done if it was just jason and i the thing from another world 71 points forbidden planet 71 points so kathy made all the difference and looking at the judges scorecards the winner of this episode of Action Film Face-Off with a score of 75 to 72 is Forbidden Planet. Which I don't agree with. I like the other movie better, but hey, the numbers (laughs) fell where the numbers fell. I agree. I think I was leaning a little bit more towards thing from an, from another world, but you know, sniper made all the difference. That's right. <laughs> now it, I feel bad. No, it's they're both great movies. <laughs> yep, I'm totally happy with it. All right. Well, congratulations to Forbidden Planet. Now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for the next episode, which is going to be in October. Which means. Ooh. Horror film face-off. My brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. (laughs) 2015. And I will bring a film from... Choose Your Destiny. 1981. Oh, man, I'm jealous. I feel like the horror genre is better in 81 than 2015. Oh, there's some good movies. There's some good horror movies in 2015. I'm I'm jealous of whoever's going to get to be the sniper. I know who it is. 
Well, what will those films be? Uh, we're going to tease them for you on social media, just like we always do. For those of you who want to watch before listening, which I hope is all of you, but I know will be Dave, or you can tune in next episode to find out. Until then, I'm Jason Weaselskull Albrecht, and you can find me on social media at Weaselskull on Twitter or Jason Albrecht on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist, or check out my website, The Yard Sale Artist. Dot com sniper mvp kathy tell them where they can find on twitter i am au kathy 2418 on instagram i am kathleen 424 kathleen with a k kathy with a k okay be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, or pretty much all your finer podcatchers. Or you can always check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com. If you'd like to send us a question or a comment, or maybe you're interested in being a sniper, although we are booked up for quite a while, I'm not going to lie. But if you're interested, let us know by hitting us up on social media. We are at AFFOPod on Twitter. Or you can use any of our Longbox accounts. You can go to at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. And until next episode, keep your head down. And, and your, your knuckles, knuckles up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. The Forbidden Planet was also nominated for Best Visual Effects Oscar in 1957. No one likes a know-it-all, Kathy. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm trying to find out what movie won. So hang on a second. All right. No, I, you know what? You can see why. We'll definitely talk about that when we get to this. Background. Jason, Jason's so pleased with himself. I'm watching him laugh in the background. Jason put his glasses on. Like I was trying to be all smart. And Let's go to the outtakes reel. Finally, I made it. <laughs> Baby cough. <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs>